Hey, we've been in a uh, series uh, that we started the first of this month uh, called With, and Steve Browning talked about us walking with God, and then uh, last week, uh, Chad talked about us walking uh, with His Word, and today we want to talk about walking with Jesus. Now, uh, when I grew up, uh, there was a song that we sang that was really popular during that day. It was called Every Day with Jesus. If you remember that, every day with Jesus, sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with Jesus, is sweeter than the day before. Hey, and we'd all get excited, and, and we'd sing that song, and, and it's a great song. Uh, and it's where in our relationship with Jesus, every day with him, sweeter than the day before. But what you realize as you kind of travel through life is that probably a second verse of that song would be pretty complete, and that would be every day with Jesus is more challenging than the day before. Every day with Jesus, he stretches me more and more. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where if uh, you ask the disciples which part of the song they would sing, they would pick the second verse. Because it was a very challenging time and a very stretching time. It was a time of, of decision about walking with Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, if you turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a very long chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But we're going to start at verse 60. But let me set it up for you. And that is uh, Jesus is at the peak of his popularity. Uh, he was there, and he was up on a mountainside, and he was teaching, and it began to grow late. Uh, the people began to get hungry. The disciples said, hey, you need to send the people away. He says, no, let's feed them. And they said, we don't have any food. He says, well, see if you can find any. And the only food they could find was a little boy who came, and he had two pieces of fish and uh, five loaves of bread. So in essence, he had two fish burgers and an extra piece of bread to go along with it. He gave it to Jesus. Jesus multiplied it, and he said he fed 5,000 people. He had the men and the children. It was close to 15 thousand that he fed. And after he fed them, then all the people rushed up to him and they wanted to make him king. They said, we want you to be the bread Messiah. We want you to be the king. Man, if we get you in power, you could feed all the hungry. You got all these miracle working powers. Everybody's going to be for you. And the disciples are starting to drink the Kool-Aid over here. And so he tells the disciples, you need to get out of here, get on the boat, head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and I'll meet you over there. And he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he went up there to pray, it got late in the night, and the disciples still had not gotten to the other side because there was a storm. And so Jesus comes down from the mountain and walks on the water to the boat, calms the storm, and then they get to the other side. And so on that next morning, he goes into the synagogue, and he's teaching in the synagogue, and all of a sudden, all the people that were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee who got their fish burgers for lunch were hungry again, so they made their way over to the other side of the sea, and they came into the synagogue looking for Jesus, and they're like, hey, we're interested in your teaching. And he just cut right through it, and he says, no, you're not really interested in me or my teaching. You just want another helping of fish burgers. And then they began to ask him, well, so what does it mean to do the works of God? And this is what he said in chapter 6, verses 28 through 29. And he said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them. He says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the first thing you need to do, he said, you need to believe in me as Jesus, as the one whom God has sent. And then he began to talk to them further. And he began to talk to him about how Moses had the, uh, was there with the manna in the wilderness. And they said, yeah, Moses is really great. He says, I just got to let you know I'm greater than Moses. And he says, I am the bread of life. And that began to get them to struggle. And they said, whoa, what is this? You're greater than Moses and you got this unique association with God that you've been sent by him. I'm not so sure about that. 
And then all of a sudden, he came in verses 53 and 54. And in 53 and 54, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, I'm just going to go out and step on a limb and say I'm the only pastor preaching this passage on a graduation Sunday. So I just think that you guys need to be excited about this. And before your mind goes to flesh-eating zombies and saying, yes, it's biblical, it's found there in John 6, be careful, lock the doors, that's not what he's talking about. I think one of the great things you need to look at in here as you look at this kind of difficult saying, what does he mean, eat my flesh, drink my blood, is at the end of it he says, has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, if you look back to verse 40, and he says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Exact thing, exact same thing. If you look on the Son of God, you believe in him, then you will be raised up in the last day, and you will have eternal life. Then he comes and says, if you do this, eat my flesh, drink my blood, he is talking about that there needs to be an abiding, a dwelling within this relationship with Jesus. You need to believe in who he is, but then it goes further than that. It needs to be a relationship in which there is a oneness, in which there is a union of faith. It is where he is my source of life. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is everything that I need. And he says, this is the way it has to be in this relationship. Not just a parting glance, it is you believe in who I am and then you fully commit yourself to me. And so when he says this, look at their response in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Now when it uses the word disciples, he's talking about those that have been following him, not just the 12 apostles. So you have the 12 who had that intimate relationship with Jesus, and then you had other followers, people that had been following him for years or longer. And they'd follow him where he'd go, where he'd teach, and they'd be a part of the miracles, they'd be a part of the teaching. So he had a pretty good group of followers. And a lot of people, he was the talk of the town, he was at the the peak of his popularity. But then they began to question, "Who, who can listen to this? You've got a unique relationship with God, you're greater than Moses, And then verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Is what I have just shared with you a stumbling block to you? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He said, if this blows your mind, what would it happen if you saw me ascend to heaven where I came from? Do you think you'd believe then? And he said, it is the spirit who gives life, and the flesh is of no avail, and the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He says, what I am telling you, this is life. This is life. And the Holy Spirit, I can give the Holy Spirit into your life, and this is what gives you life, the words for life both now and for eternity. He says, this is the truth that I am teaching you. It says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted him by the Father. And he says, I'm telling you some difficult sayings, and I understand that some of you do not believe. 
in one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture is found in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. The sayings were just too tough. They were gone. He was uh, no longer their master. He was no longer their leader. He was no longer their teacher. I'm out of here. We're not going to follow you anymore. And you can just see him teaching there in that synagogue and begin to see people walking out the doors, kind of scurrying for the exits. I'm there. It's kind of like a Baptist church before the offertory. Just people just sort of sliding out, sliding out the door. You're under conviction this morning, aren't you? <laughs> so, all right, I'm just saying. So I mean, they start moving out because they don't want anything, anything to do with that. And what Jesus did at the height of his popularity, he began to preach the toughest message. And as he began to preach the toughest message, the opposition began to increase. Now, if you catch your Bibles, I'm going to flip through this really quick. But you take the, he was at the peak of his popularity. Now you go to chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. After Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Verse 12 Verse 12, and there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Verse 20, you get to verse 20, it says, the crowd answered, you have a demon. Verse 43 through 44, he goes a little bit further. He's teaching in a village, and he says this. They said, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him. Then you get to chapter 8, and chapter 8, and you get to verse 48, and you get to verse 48 in chapter 8, it says, And Jesus answered them, the Jews answered them, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Then you get to verse 59, it says, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus had to hide himself, and he went into the temple. If you went to chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, it says there was again a division among the Jews because of these words, and many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. Why should you listen to him? And in verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Whoa. We went from Jesus being the most popular guy in all of Galilee to now there's creating division with the words that he is sharing. So divisive that people are wanting to kill him. And those that used to walk with him decided they weren't going to walk with him anymore. So I took a look at that passage, began to ask the question, why do people no longer walk with Jesus? And we see it. We, 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 we see it in uh, where we live today. People that start to walk with Jesus, then they stop walking with him. So why do people no longer walk with Jesus? Let me tell you a few things. Number one, a distorted perspective. It's a distorted perspective. It is what can I get from Jesus rather than what can I do for Jesus. Some people no longer walk with Jesus because, you see, when they came into this relationship with Jesus, it was more of what can I get from Jesus and not so much what to give to Jesus and especially not to suffer for Jesus. I mean, if he's doing miracles and feeding the masses and he's the talk of the town, then this is where I want to be. But if he's now demanding a commitment, he's demanding sacrifice, he's demanding a rearrangement of my schedule and my priorities, he's even asking me to give a tithe of my income, he's asking me to share my faith, he's even asking me to be willing to suffer and, if possible, even to risk my life for his sake. And 
The opposition is increasing. He's not as popular as he was when I was a kid in vacation Bible school. He was the hit. Now all of a sudden I'm out further in life and there's a lot of opposition against him. I don't want any of that, so I'm out of here. And I'm not going to follow him anymore because I've got a distorted perspective as to what this walk is with Jesus. But second of all, he's just disillusioned by life. Disillusioned by life. Oftentimes, people make a decision for Jesus hoping he will help them out of some mess that they are in. It may be a financial mess. It may be a relationship mess. But if I come to Jesus, maybe he'll help me with that. I got an illness. I'll turn to Jesus. I'll pray. Maybe he'll heal me. But you see, what happens is, is that some people begin to blame God because he didn't answer the prayer the way that they wanted Some people get upset at God because he didn't give up his sovereignty to fit into your box and be the God that you want him to be. Because if he's truly God, then this is what he should do. This is what he should provide for me. This is the kind of of wife or husband I should get. This is the type of kids that I should have. This is the kind of job that I should have. This is the type of financial security I should have. uh, This is the type of good health that I should have. And and so I go into it saying, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, so all these things are going to work out. And all of a sudden, life hits you right smack in the face, and it doesn't work out that way. And so now all of a sudden, it is, well, who is this Jesus anyway? I'm I'm just not going to follow him anymore. I just get disillusioned with life. And it doesn't just happen when we're younger. It happens when we get older. And as we get older, you get more jaded, you get more cynical. And rather than your heart expanding with the love of God, it is actually shriveled due to bitterness and selfishness. And in the midst of this disillusionment, you decide that you want to walk away from Jesus. But the third reason is demands of a high moral standard. The demands of a high moral standard. It is not the intellectual difficulty which keeps most people from becoming a Christian and staying a follower of Christ. And I know that, that we, we need to be able to defend our faith, and I believe that's important. And a lot of people try to throw intellectual exercises, but my experience in life is that it's not the intellectual difficulty. It is the height of Christ's moral demands. It's the height of Christ's moral demands. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, we don't keep his commandments so we can be saved. When you make a decision to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, it is a gift of grace. He has died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead three days later. He conquered sin. He conquered death. Gives us an opportunity to come into a right relationship with God. And when he offers that to us, when we accept that grace gift, that's it. You're a part of the family. You're born again. You're adopted into the family of God. But then he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so as a follower of Christ, then I want to keep his commandments. I want to do the things that he said, not because I have to, but because I want to. Look what he's done for me. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I want to follow you, and I want to keep your commandments. But you see, the real difficulty of Christianity is that it demands an act of surrender to Christ and an acceptance of him as the final authority. He demands a moral standard of the highest level. But the problem is, is that people don't want to change their lifestyles. They don't want to place God before their desires or before their time or before their wants. And so because of this, they walk away from Jesus. And we just say, it's too much. You're asking too much. 
And so I'm going to walk away from Jesus. Listen, I've just got a truth for you today. God is not going to dumb down the call to discipleship because you think it's too demanding. I mean, he's not going to come and say, you know what? You know what? I guess I was a little tough on that. Let, let me ratchet that thing down. No, not at all. He's already proven his love for us by going to the cross for us. And our response to that should be, I commit my life to you, and I want to live according to your words, and I want to be a Christ follower. C.S. Lewis made this statement. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. And college students, and I'm calling you college students now that you're no longer in high school, you're going to experience some amazing things in college. And I always preface this, except for the 40 years of being married to my wife, my four years at college were the greatest times of my life, okay? <laughs> okay, <all> right. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good. I don't have to ask you all to go, take me to lunch today, okay? Uh, I loved it. And uh, I, I just sort of got everything out of it that I thought I could have. But I tell you, the saddest part of college was seeing those who were believers who did what verse 66 said, and that is they turned away and didn't follow anymore. There were believers that were in our youth group. They looked all spiritual, looked good. We all went to college, had these high ideals, and once we got there, then the lure of everything else pulled off to the side and it was no longer to walk with him. There were those that when you get to school and you'll meet them and be your freshman year and there's some strong believers and they're involved in some of the campus organizations that are, or some churches there and you're all excited and throughout that four years you begin to see them slowly but surely just step away and not follow him. And oh, that's hard. And that is, uh, and that is, uh, that is difficult. Uh, and the reason they do this is because they've got a distorted perspective, they get disillusioned in life, or they just look at the moral demands and say, that's just too much. The immorality that the world promises me and it leads me, it's a lot more attractive than me walking with God, and so no longer will I walk with Him. And that's, that's sad. So there are people who will stop walking with Jesus. And they will stop, sometimes at college, sometimes when they go from junior high to high school, sometimes when they go from college and they're into their work world, sometimes when they go from single life to married life, or it's just sometimes as they get further in their career. They just get drawn by other things. And so it, there's not one certain age that we say, ooh, got to be careful here because this could turn. It could happen at any time that we could turn on that. So the question that I think you should ask is, well, why should you walk with Jesus? <laughs> I mean, what is it? Why should you walk with Jesus? Well, verse 67. In verse 67, Jesus says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Now, picture this scene. He's teaching in the synagogue. He's got his 12 followers that are closest to him. He's got a bunch of fringe followers out here who they have begun to walk out the doors and said, we can't do this anymore. We can't follow him. We're not going to walk with him. And all of a sudden, he looks to the 12, these that he's got a relationship with, and he asks them that question, do you want to walk away as well? Now, every time I've read this verse, I've always envisioned this as like a football coach in a hot summer day after two-a-days. 
And he's been doing two-a-days, and they've been getting after it every day, and it's hot, and it's tiring, and some of the kids are saying, I can't take it, and they're walking off. And as they're walking out the door, he's looking at some of his starters over here, and he's in their face, and he says, so, are you going to walk out too? Are you walking out too? Make your decision. And I love that. But that was wrong. Um, I look deeper into this. And it's really even better than that. Because in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, there's a negative. We pronounce it uh, may. It's just this is one word. It's, it's a negative. And whenever a negative is used in a question, it indicates that the expected answer is no. Whenever this negative is used in a question, the, and it's, you ask it, you expect the answer to be no. So the best translation of this scripture is this. You don't want to go away too, do you? You don't want to go away too, do you? This is Jesus who has poured his life for a couple of years into these 12 men. And he sees the fringe beginning to leave. And he looks over at these 12 and he says, now you don't want to go away too, do you? It's as a friend talking to another friend. It's a relationship. I've seen the fringe. They've walked away from me. I mean, I mean they, they, they've left me. But you, I poured my life into you. You're not going to walk away too, are you? And in that phrasing of showing love and compassion for these guys and saying, you know better than anyone else that's been here, you're not going to walk away too, are you? And then Peter gives his answer. And Peter gives the answer, and this is why we should walk with Jesus. Number one, Jesus has the words of life and eternal life. He has the words of life and eternal life. Peter says this. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> I love that. It's just great. He says, where should we go? Are you guys going to leave also? He looks at the Son of God and he says, where, where else would we go? What better option do we have? You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. And so the first thing you think of is why should I walk with Jesus is because he has the words of life and eternal life. There is nowhere else to go. Jesus alone had the words of life and eternal life. He has the words that will help us navigate life on earth. He has the words that will help you to discover what your purpose is and to live your purpose out. And forever, how many years God has for you on this earth that you can live out your purpose in his will. Is that not great? And to know that he has the words for me to navigate my life here on earth. But then guess what happens? He also has the words for me that gives me eternal life so that when I step out of this world, I'll spend eternity with God. And only Jesus can give us eternal life. There's no one else out there. There's no other prophet. There's no other great holy man. There's no other thing that can give us eternal life except through Jesus Christ. And so when they're asking them, it's like Peter's going, this is a no-brainer. I'm looking at all my other options and I don't see anything out there. You're the only one that's got words of life and words of eternal life. And then number two is that Jesus is the Holy One of God. He says right here that you are the Holy One of God. And I love the way that he says this. Look at this. And he says, 
And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're more than Moses. You're the Holy One of God. This, he was obedient to God. You did exactly what God told you to do. And God sent you from heaven onto earth and said live a perfect life and then go to the cross and die for the sins of all humanity. And you are going to do that. And then he's going to be raised from the dead and he's going to conquer sin. He's going to conquer death. And he says You've been, you're going to be obedient to God. All of these things. He says you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. And there's no one like you. Um, yesterday, I, I did a long run. I, I just like to continue running, try to stay in shape. And so I go for a long run on Saturday morning. And when I finished that long run on Saturday morning, I came walking into the house, and Janice was watching something on TV. And most of y'all probably don't know about this, but there was a wedding um, <laughs> that, did you see that? It, it's it's uh, like Harry and Megan, something like that. Uh, you know, it flew under the radar because no one promoted it uh, very much. And, uh, but, but Janice was watching kind of the replay uh, of that. And then she says, you got to hear the guy that did the sermon in the wedding. And uh, I said, really? She said, yeah, let me, let me rewind this over here. And uh, it was Bishop Michael Curry. I believe he's from Chicago, African-American guy. Well, he preached like no one else has preached in that church before, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and apparently from the looks of a lot of those people, they ain't never heard what, uh, what, he, what he had shared. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Kind of hate to give him a scoop, but he took it straight out of Scripture. <laughs> and when you use this book, it's amazing. It really does work good. And so, uh, and so he gets up there and he's talking. And I was mesmerized by what he was sharing. And, uh, and then you go on the Internet later on, and everything says he stole the show. He stole the show. He stole the show. They said he was the hit of the whole wedding, all of this planning, 40-something million dollars or whatever, all this planning. And the preacher that stood up, was told the show. And so the very first site that I hit, I clicked on and they said, let's just give you some of the greatest hits of what he said. And it was the gospel. And he says this, you just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. Jesus did not die for anything that he could get out of it. He did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. I love that line. He didn't get an honorary doctor for dying. There was nothing that he did that was selfish. It was selfless. And he went to the cross and he died for us. And because he did that, and he's saving us from our sins, he places us in a right relationship with God, both in the presence and also for eternity. Thus, we walk with him. You walk with him because of what he has done for you. He is the son of God. He died on the cross for our sins, puts us in a right relationship with God. And when someone has done that for you, you embrace him and you say, I will walk with you. Now, students, I'm just going to be, this kind of hit on my heart over a week ago, and I just wrote this down. I just want you to know this. You're getting ready to enter into a culture where probably many of your professors will have a worldview that is opposite of even and even critical of the biblical worldview. Your faith will be ridiculed and challenged. Your moral bearings of what is right and wrong will be questioned. What you believe about Jesus will be a stumbling block to others. It will be students, faculty. 
Some will take offense at your views and your beliefs. People will attempt to marginalize you and shake their heads at the absurdity of what you claim to be truth. And so when you go to college and you see others turn their backs on Jesus, I want you to listen to his voice as he gently says to you, you don't want to go away too, do you? It is the voice of one who has a relationship with you and he loves you deeply and he wants the best for you. Will you turn your back and walk away from Jesus and his teachings? Is the pull to immorality more inviting than obeying the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins? Or will you respond as Peter, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Challenge to you, keep walking with Jesus, okay? Keep walking with Jesus. You say, well, how do you, how do you walk with Jesus? Two things real quick. Number one, commit to a relationship with Jesus. Commit to a relationship with Jesus. What separated the fringe followers who walked away and the 12 disciples is that they had a close relationship with Jesus. Now listen, Peter didn't have all the answers to everything that Jesus taught. And I think that when we get to heaven and we sit down and talk to Peter, I said, listen, when Jesus did that eating flesh, drinking blood thing, did you understand that? No, I don't think he did. But you know what he did know? He knew who he was. And he knew who Jesus was. And because he had a relationship with him, he says, that's enough. That's all I need to know. And because he has this close relationship with him, there are things that, will be, that you'll read in the Bible. There are things that will happen. You say, I don't really fully understand this, but I know the one. And I know who he is. And because I have a relationship with him, I know that I can trust him. And because I can trust him, I'll keep going forward, even though I don't have the answers to all the questions. And that's why he says that, that um, um, you know, my word will be a light unto your path. He didn't say it was going to be a big searchlight out there that will show you what's going to happen the next year. He says, a light unto your path, step at a time, day at a time. You just keep following me and trust me. You commit to a relationship with Christ. William Barclay said, Christianity is not a philosophy which we accept, nor a theory to which we give allegiance. It is a personal response to Jesus Christ. It is a relationship with Jesus. And number two is to abide with Jesus daily. Abide with Jesus daily. When he was talking about the eating of the flesh and the drinking of blood, that's just saying abiding with him and dwelling with him, and we do it every day. And then throughout the book of John, he talks about abide with me. That means remain in constant contact. Abiding with Jesus is a continual dependence on Jesus by obeying his word and his commands. It is a continual dependence on Jesus by obeying his word and his commands. That is what it means to abide with Jesus. And just as uh, Chad was saying last week, you've got to get God's word into your head and you've got to get it into your heart. And it takes consistent time, a consistent time of reading or listening or meditating on the word of God. Get it into your life. Let his words, let the spirit fill your mind, fill your thoughts, and then direct your actions. There's no simple way. You can't download an app that goes to your heart and to your head. You can't get an IV of Bible. It means you got to just carve out some time and spend some time with him. And there's no particular amount of time. You understand your walk with him. But all throughout the day, just keep it in mind. And you know what? If you say, you know, first thing in the morning is going to be when I read my Bible, and all of a sudden something came up different, and you say, oh, gosh, now it's 10 o'clock. I can't read the Bible. I'm only supposed to do it in the morning. No, anytime, 24-7. Just take some time. Read his word. Get the wisdom out of his word. Abide with Jesus 
daily. Jesus says we need to be continually abiding with him. And it's amazing that when you say stuff like this, people bristle about every day, every day, there's a demand for me to abide with him every day, to read the, the word, to pray every day. It's amazing that we bristle on that, yet we accept demands for commitment in other areas. A student, you can't study one day and then take two weeks off and be a good student, make good grades. Business people can't work hard one day and coast for four days and feel like they're going to have a successful business. Athletic teams can't practice hard one day and then be half-hearted the rest of the week and expect to be successful. You will be as effective in your Christian living as you choose to be. You'll be as effective in your Christian living as you choose to be. You get to make the choice. And we all get to make this choice. And we all are going to have that choice to where things in our life are not going to go the way that we thought it would. We're going to hear different people say different things that would be critical of who Jesus is. There'll be the truths of Scripture will be questioned and, uh, and there'll be debates and we will wonder and there'll be temptations that we'll have and we'll slip and we'll fail and then we'll want to get back up and say, God, are you still there? And he says, I'm still there. Let's continue to do this daily. And as you walk through life, you will have to make the decision, will I be the people in verse 66 or will I be the people in verses 68 and 69? Because in verse 66, they said, I'm done with it. I'm not going to walk anymore. Or will it be like Peter and the 12 that said, hey, <laughs> there are no other options. I mean, this is it. You have the words of life, and you have the words of eternal life. You know, you, you would have thought that when Jesus in chapter 6 said these hard sayings, and people began to leave, that somebody would have walked up to him, put an arm around him and said, brother, you got to change that message. <laughs> we're, we're losing a crowd. you gotta, you got to kind of get this thing back to miracles and signs and stuff. And so he says, well, I got my 12. And he talked to them. And he said, guys, are you with me? And they said, yeah, yeah, we're with me. And if you follow the progression and you go to the book of Luke and you go to the book of Matthew, it was very shortly after that that he looks at those same guys and he said, Okay, let me just lay it out for you. Okay, if you're really going to be a follower of mine, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, take up your cross doesn't mean wearing jewelry. Taking up your cross during that day meant you're willing to die. Take up your cross. And so these same guys who said, hey, we're with you, he said, I appreciate that. I'm going to turn the burner up even a little bit higher. You got to deny yourself. Take up your cross, not weekly, but daily. And then you follow me. You walk with me. And he said, I'm telling you, there's not a better life if you're willing to do this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and say, I'm going to die to myself, and uh, I'm going to take whatever it is. If I have to suffer, I will suffer. If there's persecution, I'll take persecution. But you know why I can do this? Because he says, you follow me. You walk with me. And Jesus, I'm going to walk with you. And every day with Jesus will be sweeter than the day before. And every day with Jesus, I will love him more and more. And even though there are challenges, and even though I get stretched, it just builds my relationship with him and my love and appreciation for him. Let us walk with Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. And thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, you have told us that we are to follow his voice 
and to follow the words that he has laid out for us. And it's my prayer, Lord, that each one of us will seriously look at our relationship with Jesus and for us to um, really put our arms around and try to grasp the incredible love that you have for us and that your son Jesus has for us. And that the first verse we probably ever learned is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it was because of your love that you gave Jesus. It was because of Jesus' love for us that he went to the cross. And it is because of that love that you offer us this incredible grace gift of salvation. And I pray that each of us, as we accept this gift, we then say, I can't think of anything I'd rather do than to walk lockstep with you for the rest of my life. Oh, and just experience the wonder of it all. Lord, that's our prayer. And I pray for those that are here today, Lord, that have never taken that step, that you would pierce their heart with a conviction and that they would say, yes. I want to have that relationship with my God and with my Savior. And Lord, for the many of us here who've made this decision for Christ, some may have been walking some steps that, you know, you're in the distant rearview mirror. We're not really walking with you. And it's not really been a good path to travel. And in our honest moments on this morning, you got a hold of us and said, you know, it was so much better when we were walking side by side. Let's do that again. It may, they make that decision right now, today, to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to get back on that crosswalk with you. And I'm ready to be denying myself, take up my cross, and walk with you and follow you for the rest of the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your word. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.